The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman, and you're listening to Healthcare Insight, where we take a look at all sorts of issues around the world, the health of our country domestically, uh, in the foreign policy area, we talk about politics, we talk about health insurance, health insurance reform, health care issues, the whole spectrum. But the whole idea is to bring ideas, thoughts, and leaders who are expressing their concerns, their ideas, their visions of where this country should go. And we take a lot of the information that we put together in this program from presentations that are made to universities, presentations that are made to uh, the House or the Senate and congressional hearings, things that most people really don't bother unless you're a political junkie. Well, today I want to talk about what I think is probably the most significant danger to our country that we have seen probably in the lifetime of me and you but also the lifetime of this country, and that is the weaponization of our pol- our institutions that have become politicized. And the institutions that I'm talking about in specifically are areas that we've always revered as I've grown up as being untouchable and untainted by any corruption or political subversiveness of the American people. We trusted in the FBI. We trusted in the CIA. We trusted in the Department of Defense. We trusted in our government in so many different ways. And yes, we were let down in many ways from areas like and times like the Vietnam War. But over the last few years, it's become more systematic. It seems as though the political struggle the divisions in this country have become so great that those who have some level of power in some part of our government are willing to take and use that power against its political enemies, its ideological enemies, and they are so intent on winning that control and having that much power over the people that they're willing to change this country in fundamental ways that would remove individual rights and liberties that we all enjoy and that are ensconced in our Bill of Rights, ensconced in the Declaration of Independence, in our basic Constitution. So today I want to present in this first segment a presentation before a new House committee that was set up to take a look at and study what is happening in our country in terms of the weaponization of so many parts of our government, and weaponization not just against the other political party, but against the American people itself, who may have a different opinion, who may have a different thought. And the first major presenter I want to um, throw out here is Telsey Gabbard, who used to be a Democrat. She actually ran for president in the Democratic Party, but she is now an independent. And she is a speaker at one of the first hearings of this House Committee on the Weaponization of Government. So I want you to listen to her and her background. She 
is a military officer. She's fought in the Iraq war. I think she's been to Afghanistan. She's been a representative uh, to the state of Hawaii. So she knows the people in Congress. She knows how it's working. She knows how it's become dysfunctional. And she's personally experienced the weaponization of the government and politicians against her, trying to cancel her. So I want to have her speak, and I'm not going to interrupt her very often, if at all, but I want you to listen to the presentation that is really from her heart and should speak to every American. Somehow the Democrats on this committee kind of ignore her and dismiss her, but her message is powerful, and I want everybody to listen to this. So Representative Congresswoman Gabbard, Please tell us your story and your experience with the government weaponizing against its political enemies or just people who challenge them as you did. I had the opportunity to see firsthand what life is like in countries where there is no First Amendment, where there is no free press, where government deems itself to be the moral arbiter to its people, dictating to them what is right and wrong what can and cannot be said, who can speak, who cannot, who is free to worship, and who is not. Our founders understood the importance of enshrining our God-given freedoms in the Constitution and Bill of Rights to ensure that no matter which party or person may be in power at any given time, our founding documents serve as a reminder of these freedoms that are guaranteed to every American. Thomas Paine said, He that would make his own liberty secure must guard even his enemy from opposition. For if he violates this duty, he establishes a precedent that will reach to himself. We cannot be so short-sighted as to thinking silencing speech that we don't like today will not result in our own voices being silenced tomorrow. The work that you've all been charged with in this committee affects all Americans, and it is too important to allow it to fall victim to partisan politics. No matter how deep your differences, we must all agree to stand on the side of liberty. Unfortunately, right now we live in a country where many Americans are afraid to speak freely, afraid to express themselves, afraid to actually have real open dialogue and debate, afraid of losing their job, being canceled, or being accused of a crime, which could happen if recently introduced legislation criminalizing so-called hate speech is passed into law, speech that no matter how abhorrent, is still protected under the First Amendment. Now this fear and this culture of fear and self-censorship is not unfounded. We have individuals in our government often working through their arms in the mainstream media and big tech doing exactly what our founders rejected, trying to control what we the people are allowed to see and say under the guise of protecting us from so-called misinformation or disinformation. Now, of course, they appoint themselves as the sole authority and voice of truth, of information, backed by the most lethal force on earth with the power to target anyone they deem a threat. They alone are the ones, self-designated, who get to decide what is true and what is false, what is information and what is misinformation or disinformation. They say they're doing this for us, that they're doing this for our own good, to protect the people. But in reality... The truth is they think that we're too stupid to think for ourselves, too stupid to discern for ourselves and to draw our own conclusions. 
Now, the idea that we must just blindly accept whatever the government or those in power tell us is true goes against the very essence of our Constitution and Bill of Rights, which were created as a resounding rejection of the reign of kings, churches, and authorities. They tell us we must blindly trust them or face the consequences, even though our government has a long history of lying to us, the American people. Well, Congresswoman, you've outlined a very dangerous situation where we have, as I hear you speaking, a cabal of media, high-tech, and government agencies working hand-in-hand, working together, um, people going from one of those three to another one of the three and bringing their ideology in many ways and in many times the hatred that they hold for the American system. Uh, these are people who are, in other times, may have been called anarchists, uh, destructing and reconstructing the government in their own ideology of extremism, of socialism, of Marxism. And we seem to have this throughout the, the government and the country working against the people. This triad of evil, I'll say, this triangle of evil, of media that doesn't tell you the truth, that only presents one side, the narrative that they want, of government agencies that used to have restrictions on what they did and what they said and who they went after and what they investigated, uh, that's working against them. And the power of government, of political figures that you would think would have more common sense are working to gain power as opposed to serving the people. So can you give an example in your own life or of things that have happened over the last number of years that support your premise of this grouping of three getting together and working against the American people's interests and against freedoms and liberties? Just to cite a few examples, we were lied to about the weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, which spurred the war that I and so many others served in and so many others sacrificed their lives in. They lied for almost two decades, claiming success in Afghanistan, when in fact we saw failure after failure after failure coming at a great cost to this country. We saw lies about Vietnam that were revealed in the release of the Pentagon Papers. We saw lies about our own government illegally surveilling Americans. These are just a few examples. There are many more. Individuals in the FBI also throughout our country's history have abused their power, weaponizing those agencies to advance their own political interests. This is not and cannot be reduced to a partisan fight. The stakes are too high. We all must recognize our own responsibility to stand against such abuses. The danger is that if we choose to reject or challenge whatever those in power declare is the so-called truth, we are accused of being anti-authority. We are accused of being a danger to society, accused of spreading misinformation, and are then targeted, smeared, and called things like Russian asset, white supremacist, bigot, racist, sexist, extremist, traitor, and so on. More dangerous than any baseless smear, our own government institutions, which exist to serve the people, they are being weaponized against us. The Department of Homeland Security declared a heightened domestic terrorism threat due to three factors, the first of which is, quote, the proliferation of false or misleading narratives 
which sow discord or undermine public trust in U.S. government institutions. End of quote. They are the ones who get to decide what those false or misleading narratives are. Former CIA Director John Brennan said in 2021 that, quote, members of the Biden team are now moving in laser-like fashion to try to uncover as much as they can about what looks very similar to insurgency movements that we've seen overseas. An unholy alliance frequently of religious extremists, authoritarians, fascists, bigots, racists, nativists, and even libertarians. End of quote. Well, Congresswoman, let me stop you right there because your arguments and your historical recounting of how the government has lied to us and how individuals in the government have abused their power by attacking individuals is so powerful that I want to save the rest of your story carrying over to the next segment. I think it is such a powerful message that you're presenting, such truth to power, where power doesn't like it, and they want to shut you down and others down who would challenge them. That's not misinformation. That's not disinformation because you are challenging governmental authority that exists today. You're trying to challenge them to be sure that the truth gets out and that alternatives are recognized and known throughout. And it's not just one story, one-sided, that gets to use the public forum for educating people on the problems and issues that this country faces. So let's take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back with Congresswoman Kelsey Gabbard. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. I am back. Let's talk Venezuelan with Josie Cruz and friends. Every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. only on America's Web Radio. Hey, folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember, folks, I'm not angry. I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. Today, I'm trying to bring on this program the most important message of our time. I think it is the greatest danger this country faces, and that is the weaponization of our governmental agencies. And we're listening today to former Congresswoman Chelsea Gabbard from Hawaii, who has experienced it firsthand. She's seen it firsthand. She's seen it when she was in government. She sees it from the outside as she continues to engage in public service. She is somebody who has been to war. She continues to be a military officer in the reserves. She has fought for our country. She's put her line, life on the line for the rights and liberties that we enjoy. And she is passionate about this country and the freedoms and liberties. She ran for president on the Democratic Party ticket. 
and she is now an independent because that party has so distorted what this country is and what it should be, and they are trying to destroy it in so many different ways. And being that they are in power today and had complete power of the House of Representatives, the Senate, and the presidency for the last two years, they have weaponized a number of government agencies. And she's describing how that is so much like foreign dictators, kings, potentates, corrupt governments in other countries, creating a narrative, controlling the media, controlling the government, controlling high tech that sends out messages that people use every day to get their news, to understand what's going on in this world. And the government is working together to prevent alternative views that the only truth that they allow is their truth. The government's story, the government's comments on right or wrong, and they're limiting others' forms of speech. But it's worse than that. If anybody dare find a platform or a forum to speak out with any sort of a public reach, those are attacked by those same entities. The government attacks them. Departments within the government attack them. The media attack them. High tech attacks them or prevents them from spreading their message any further. So I want to go back to Congresswoman and say, tell us about some of the things that you've seen. For example, why don't you start with Attorney General Garland and what he did in the famous area that many people at least have heard a little bit about, where the department, his department, where the Attorney General went after mothers and fathers that are just trying to talk and convince the school boards that their children spend eight hours a day or so in most cases to stop them being taught things that the parents ought to be teaching. Stop them from teaching hatred among each other. Stop them from teaching hatred of this country. Stop them from creating an ideology an indoctrination process as opposed to education. So, Congresswoman Gabbard, tell us a little bit about your perspective and your understanding of what's happened with the Attorney General of the United States. Attorney General Garland charged his newly created domestic terrorism unit with targeting those who hold, quote, anti-authority views. That included parents who dared to protest at Board of Education meetings concerned and standing up for the right for themselves to have a say in their children's education. A draft copy of the Department of Homeland Security Quadrennial Homeland Security Review outlined their intent to target quote-unquote inaccurate information on a whole host of topics to include the origins of COVID, vaccines, the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, and U.S. support to Ukraine. Their misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation team exists to, quote, counter all types of disinformation. Once again, they get to determine what this disinformation is. Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg revealed on the Joe Rogan Experience podcast recently that Facebook limited the exposure of the New York Post Hunter Biden laptop story just weeks ahead of the 2020 election, only after talking with the FBI. Twitter took similar action, but they recently apologized for doing so, recognizing 
that their decision was wrong. The cozy relationship between the White House officials, the Department of Homeland Security, the FBI, and big tech is now well-documented and results in private companies not restricted by the First Amendment doing the dirty censorship work of those in government who are not legally allowed to do so themselves. The threat big tech monopolies pose to our democracy is real and serious. Congresswoman, let me jump in here because I think you make the most important point our audience could actually understand and hear and absorb and really take this lesson to home because it is how things are going to affect us with this kind of a cabal that is working against the American people. As you said, our government cannot limit our free speech. That is enshrined in our Constitution, the the first uh, amendment to the Bill of Rights. But what's happening in this new tech world that we live in is that the government has colluded with these other outside private entities, whether it's Facebook or Google or Twitter or any of the other high-tech communication platforms that exist out there. The government is working hand-in-hand to encourage and identify area where speech needs to be muted, needs to be eliminated, needs to be removed from those platforms. Now, the government can't do it directly, but they're working indirectly. Some would say in agency with those private entities, because the private entities are not controlled with the same rules and restrictions that government agencies are. So when the government agencies are able to take private entities and control speech, that is a great danger that currently is allowed, and we need new laws passed to prevent that. That is a major issue, I think, that our audience needs to understand and take home, that free speech is under attack, not directly by government, because they can't do that. But as free speech is under attack because private companies are following the lead or the direction of government. And many say, well, yeah, you could just say no, the, the private entities don't have to do that. But when the federal government, when the FBI, the CIA, Department of Homeland Security, the Department of Justice come after you, it's very difficult to say no to government agencies that can pull the strings of their power to make life very uncomfortable to these private companies. So let's turn the page a little bit and focus on how have you, Congresswoman, been personally attacked, been personally targeted by some of these powerful entities to shut you down? I've had personal experience with this. After the first Democratic primary presidential debate in 2019, I was the most searched candidate of the night. Unfortunately, and suddenly, my Google Ads account was mysteriously suspended without any notice or explanation. There were no responses to our multiple attempts to resolve whatever problem could have caused this, but after some time passed, magically, my account was reinstated, again, with no explanation or apology. But their actions limited my ability to connect with voters, who were actively seeking more information about my candidacy and why I was offering to serve them as president and commander-in-chief. This has not only happened to me, it's happened to other candidates running for various offices. Joe Kent running for Congress in Washington State, 
is one I know personally of. This happens all the time with these big tech monopolies interfering in our democracy by manipulating search results based on whatever it is that they want the American people to know about a particular candidate or issue that should be concerning to any one of us and all of us. Now, recently, we've learned that with the release of the Twitter files detailed by Matt Taibbi and others, high-level former FBI and CIA and other government officials were behind Hamilton 68 and their list of 644 social media accounts supposedly linked to, quote, Russian influence activities online. Now, Hamilton 68's work was widely cited as fact by institutions like Harvard and Stanford, by mainstream news organizations across the board, by members of the House of Representatives and Senate from both political parties, including the head of the Intelligence Committee. The problem is, it was false. Twitter themselves determined that the vast majority of counts that Hamilton 68 targeted on this list of 644 were, quote, neither strongly Russian nor strongly bots, end of quote. They were mostly anti-establishment American voices from across the political spectrum. I was one of them. Former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton accused me, a sitting member of Congress, a soldier and a candidate running for president, of being, quote, groomed by the Russians. Her baseless smear worked as intended. It was something that was repeated over and over, headline after headline, article after article, pushed online in every way. This had the harmful impact that it, that was intended. I could give you many examples of interactions that I've had with people throughout that campaign and still today. More recently, U.S. Senator Mitt Romney accused me of treason a crime that is punishable by death under our laws. I challenged him to back this back this serious allegation up with evidence. What was this based on? There was no response, no explanation, no evidence, and certainly no apology. Now, these accusations are often shrugged off as, well, hey, it's politics, People say things about each other all the time. That may be easy for some of you to say, but for somebody who wears the uniform, this is serious. And it's serious not only to me, but to my fellow service members and veterans. Every one of us making a decision at some point in our lives to raise our right hand, prepared and volunteering to lay our life down for this country. This is much bigger than me or any one individual. When those who dare to challenge the establishment are targeted by this powerful conglomerate of government, corporate media, and big tech, weaponizing all that they have against the people for their own selfish gain, it has a dangerous chilling effect on free speech, and it sends a very powerful message. If you dare to challenge us, we will come after you. The more we allow this to happen, we start looking less and less like a democratic republic and more and more like a banana republic. Instead of a government ordained to secure these rights, we are now increasingly facing a government determined to take those rights away. We have to stop this insanity and protect these sacred freedoms. Vanquish 
the fear and self-censorship that is now pervasive. Every one of us taking action to breathe new life into the open marketplace of ideas that is at the heart of a thriving democracy, encouraging vigorous and substantive debate, encouraging people to think for themselves so we can draw our own conclusions where we can disagree without devolving into hate, where we can respect each other as fellow Americans and treat each other with aloha. The work you have before you is critical for all of these reasons. The stakes are high. The consequences, for better or worse, will be long-lasting. And for the sake of the American people, our freedom, and the future of this country we love, I pray we can set aside our partisan differences and commit to standing together to defend the constitutional right of every American to live free. An elegantly stated and powerful message former Congresswoman Kelsey Gabbard has presented in this testimony before the committee to look at the weaponization of government. I hope everybody out there will listen to this and absorb it and stay with us as we will delve into this issue, this most important critical issue to the liberties and freedoms of each individual listening to this program. Let's take a quick commercial break and we will be right back with more. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. Today we are talking about a new committee that was formed when Republicans took over the House of Representatives. They formed a subcommittee called the Weaponization of Our Government to root out the truth about what's been happening with censorship by big tech platforms to root out the collusion, the cabal that's established between big government, big tech, Big media, big entertainment, big academic institutions, how all these are working together to undermine the freedoms and liberties that are ensconced in our Constitution. So I want to take the next interview and information that Americans probably haven't seen unless they're political junkies. That's testimony before this committee in Washington, D.C., to try to set the stage and understanding by our elected officials on how to change the laws, how to understand what's really going on, and points of legal interpretation on how far can the government go in helping to influence, to push ideas of censorship in the private market when the government agency can't do it directly. So one of the eminent scholars for this is a lawyer, Turley. Mr. Turley is a professor of law at Georgetown University. And 
He has testified many, many times in Congress. He has worked with both Republicans and Democrats. He's presented before the United States Supreme Court. He's simply trying to lay the legal foundation for what should be future legislation, what should be of concern to all Americans. So, Mr. Turley, would you hopefully try to bring us together so that both Republicans and Democrats, conservatives and liberals can work together on these issues of government censorship through an indirect process of coercing, coordinating with private entities. Do you think this can be a nonpartisan issue? Can it be where Republicans and Democrats actually can find common ground and work together on this? It is my sincere hope that there is room for bipartisan agreement, even in these times, when we talk about the government's role in regulating speech. We all are here today because we all have a deep love for this country. We come from different backgrounds, different parts, but we share that common article of faith. I'd like to speak to that today. These are difficult questions that I'm going to address, and these are divisive times, but they transcend politics. Notably, in yesterday's hearing in the Oversight Committee, uh, James Baker said that he also thought there might be need for legislation. Uh, This is the former Twitter executive, former FBI uh, general counsel, and he said there might be need for legislation to limit the role of the FBI and other agencies in their relationship with social media companies. I think that that is true. Well, Professor... All of this that we're talking about of limiting the role of government in restricting free speech by individuals on private platforms, it seems like we've lost our common sense. Why is that an issue? Why is that a problem? Why are people not on both sides accept the idea that government shouldn't be restricting? I know we've got a divisive political environment, but can't we come around to accept that there are certain things of controlling and restricting free speech and restricting the ability of government to stop people and prosecute people and investigate people and cancel people, hurt their jobs, their livelihoods, their entire reputations and careers. Um, shouldn't that be a, a common thread for all of us? And why do you think that that can't be at this point in time. What's the problem? Is it a level of trust in government institutions? Uh, and how do we uh, overcome that? What is what is your interpretation of what's happening in this country and individuals and citizens' trust? But one of the reasons that this committee has a difficult task before it is that there is a crisis of faith, and it's not just simply with some of our constitutional values. Polls are showing that people have a distrust for the federal government, but also with the FBI. 20% in a recent poll said that the FBI was the greatest threat to the country. Only 40% of Americans said that they trust the FBI most of the time. 53% said they felt the FBI was acting politically. I'm not saying that those results are warranted. What I'm saying is it's a serious problem when the public, large portions of the public, have that level of distrust. Now, 
Professor Jonathan Turley, please continue with the idea of the legal aspects. You just quoted some of the statistics on how the public distrusts the government, they distrust the FBI, but you're the legal expert. Can you tell us a little bit more about case law, maybe that already exists? Yes, I know you're suggesting as well that we need new legislation, which could then be uh, you know, transported through the um, uh, legal system to get further interpretation and to help courts at, at every level, including the Supreme Court, on how to judge some of these relationships that are new to our economy, new to our world, and that is these huge platforms where people are speaking out ideas and thoughts and sometimes, many times, challenging the orthodox, challenging the government on what they're doing and this is opinion. It's not subversive. It's not a rebellion going on that they are just trying to voice their alternative uh, thoughts and ideas and observations on what's going on within our government. So can you give us some case law as to some interpretations? Because this is not new yesterday. It's new in the last decade or so. But are there some case laws about how government can get close to private entities and how private entities can interact and work with governmental agencies around free speech issues? My testimony that I've submitted to the record goes through the constitutional case law that applies to this issue of when the government goes too far. And I say that these are really very heavily contested questions. There are cases on both sides. And in some of my discussions, I say that actually I think the social media companies have a better argument. And in some parts, I think that there are legitimate issues here that might trigger the First Amendment. There are two different aspects to that analysis. One is that we do have direct action shown in the Twitter files by government employees. So we don't have to get into what I spend most of my time on, which is agency theory under the First Amendment. We know that there were dozens of federal employees who tabbed or targeted particular posts and posters for possible elimination and suspension. Now, we can question whether that was a directive or a partnership or a coordination, but there was direct government conduct. So the question for this committee, first and foremost, is do you want your government in that business? And we can have, I hope, a civil and and, uh, respectful conversation about that. Professor Charlie, I think you just highlighted the most important issue that our audience ought to recognize and think about. Do we want our government involved in this if there is no specific law or case law um, limiting it? Did they do something illegal or just improper? So getting the government involved with private discussions, with private thoughts, with private postings, is that really something we want the government to do? Is that something we think is done mainly in places like Russia and China and communist countries, Cuba, et cetera, that limit uh, free speech and work with high tech to prevent the kind of disclosure and discussion that we should normally think we should have, at least in the United States. What's interesting about the Twitter files is that they establish what could be viewed as an agency. Now, as I go through a lot of the cases in the past, courts have really struggled with this. At what point does a private party become an agent of the government? 
Cases like Page and others say that you can have that. Even if, by the way, the private agent turns down some requests, you can have that. And I go through the various tests uh, in, that, that apply. Professor, I know in the past you have identified three areas of concern and things that are established in your mind that raise this issue to such a high national um, question about how our government should operate in terms of limiting free speech through private connections. Tell us about those. I also go through three things that are established. One, this may be the largest censorship system in the history of our country. Twitter alone reaches 450 million people. They're 15th on social media. Companies like Facebook dwarf them in terms of their size. It is a censorship system. The ACLU has made clear that censorship can be both in government or private form, and it certainly can be in a government and private uh, uh, um, type of coordination. Okay, so your first major point, I want to emphasize this for our audience. Your first major point is this is the largest restriction on free speech that this country has ever faced, given the new technology platforms that people are speaking out on. What's the second uh, issue that you want to raise? Second, uh, this is beyond what agencies usually do. This was not the FBI responding to criticism of the FBI. It was generally policing this thing called disinformation. And eventually they tagged things like jokes. They tagged just a ridiculous scope of information that they believed could be removed. So your concern on the second point is that the government was influencing free speech on private platforms, not about complaints against the government agency itself, which they might consider false, but they're reaching out to so many other ways and other issues that have nothing to do with even the criticism of government. It looks like it may be more of a criticism based on politics and ideology. So what's your third point? And then third... I, what we have here on these, uh, in terms of, of what the government's doing is what we've seen before. Even if you assume that this does not create an agency relationship, it's wrong. It's wrong. For the government to be in the business of silencing citizens, it's wrong. We saw it during the McCarthy period where the government was behind the blacklisting of individuals. We said it was wrong. It was wrong then. It's wrong now. We have to have that debate. And it has to move somewhere beyond our normal partisan divisions. Adlai Stevenson said that when there's a loss of faith in government, we lose everything. I hope that Senator Stevenson's words resonate with members of this committee. We have everything at stake when you have the government involved in censorship. Wow, what a powerful voice of reason and logic and legal interpretation and warnings that when something is wrong, it's just wrong. We know it's wrong in our gut. We know it's wrong with our basic principles of how this government has worked and should continue to work. And while there may not be laws or rules against what may be happening in some cases, uh, we know in our gut as Professor Jonathan Turley says, it's just wrong. Well, let's take another break, and we'll come back for a final session with more on the weaponization of government and the abuses 
against individual citizens like you and me. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients, dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. Veteran-owned, America's Web Radio would like to thank all of our incredible patrons. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you are not already a patron, you can help us continue to produce some of the most informative and entertaining shows on the Internet by becoming a patron. Patrons of America's Web Radio are the first to receive information about new shows and links to the latest podcast episodes. Join now and receive a free gift while supplies last. For more information and to join our family, please visit www.patreon.com slash America's Web Radio. If you have questions, contact us at gm at americaswebradio.com. And as always, thank you for listening. I am back. Let's talk Venezuelan with Josie Cruz and friends. Every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. only on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the final segment this week of America's Web Radio's program, Healthcare Insight. I'm Ron Bachman, and I have been excited to hear, along with our audience, some of this uh, amazing information as we look at the topic today, the weaponization of our government and providing and getting some insight from real experts in this area, people who have been experiencing it, politicians who have uh, talked about their personal experiences, um, a legal expert. And what I want to turn to now is an actual FBI agent, since much of the discussion has been around the loss of confidence by the American people in the FBI. And we've heard the stories about the FBI going after uh, parents as they try to protest what's happening in their schools or the many other topics that have been raised about the overreach of government in so many different ways of getting involved with Twitter and Facebook and uh, these new public forums that have developed uh, that are pervasive throughout our economy on how to uh, present your ideas and opinions and topics and how there's been censorship on that by a government connected to these private entities doing what the government can't do, but doing it through the private entities, uh, but censoring just the same. So I want to talk now in this last segment to one of the presenters uh, in the same uh, committee that's been set up by the House of Representatives to look into weaponization of the government. And Ms. Parker is an ex-FBI agent. And so she has seen it from the inside. She has seen how the uh, FBI has changed over her uh, years of working in the FBI, starting with somebody who had no interest 
in uh, that role, very successful in the private market. Um, but then when 9-11 occurred, I think she'll tell her story in a minute, that she felt she needed to get into public service. And she decided to do that through employment with the FBI. And as she was doing her work that she was so proud of, she saw things that were changing in the FBI, that the tone at the top was changing. The nature of the work and the direction that the organization was going um, was changing dramatically and not in ways to create more freedom, but to limit freedoms. So, you know, in the past, when whistleblowers have surfaced, they've been uh, made by the media as somewhat heroes of people speaking the truth to power finally. But that's usually been when it's been a Democratic whistleblower against some Republican uh, actual or perceived wrongdoing. In this case, you'll know that very few people probably have ever heard of Ms. Parker or you've never seen anything on your national media about Ms. Parker and her view what happens to the FBI when they get involved in censoring. So let me turn it over for a moment and I'll ask some questions along the way, but let me turn it over to Ms. Parker to describe how she got involved with the FBI and why she got involved with the FBI. On September 11th of 2001, I was working for Merrill Lynch in the World Financial Center in New York City. I witnessed up close the horrific, deadly terrorist attacks on the adjacent World Trade Center. My colleagues and I evacuated our building and were led to safety thanks to the heroic efforts of NYPD officers. 2,977 souls were not as fortunate that day. As I watched the mayhem unfold to include people jumping to their deaths, I was shocked, heartbroken. I vowed to God that I would give back and serve this great nation. This vow led me to leave a multi-billion dollar hedge fund in 2009 and apply to become an FBI special agent. According to the Wall Street Journal, around 45,000 people applied to be special agents that fiscal year. About 900 made the cut, and I was one of them. After five months of arduous training at the Academy in Quantico, I was a sworn-in special agent assigned to the Miami Division. I considered it a very sacred responsibility and was honored to be entrusted to protect and serve the American people. Well, Ms. Parker, you certainly laid the foundation for your patriotism and your interest in getting involved uh, with public service after the horrific um, 9-11 incident that occurred. And so I think you don't have any axe to grind. I don't even know what your politics are. But tell us now, after your selection, your decision to go to the FBI, your selection into the FBI, your training, um, what was your assignments like? Um, where did you go and how did you operate and what were some of the um, keys to the work that you were doing uh, with the FBI? My entire career was spent in the field where I believed I could make the strongest impact in rescuing victims and putting criminals behind bars. It was my privilege to work alongside the finest and brightest in the FBI, local law enforcement, and our federal partners participating in the investigations of myriad criminal cases. Well, Ms. Parker, you're certainly laying the foundation for your own credibility in presenting to this committee on the weaponization of the FBI and the changes that maybe most people don't really notice. But this oversight committee uh, gains a great amount of knowledge and information uh, from your story. 
Now, I know some of the stories of the work that you did showing your patriotism also shows that you have a real heart for the kind of work that you did and the problems that you saw, the shootings, the killings, the murders, the uh, gangs, the uh, mafia-type activities that went on. Can you uh, maybe tell us a little bit about that so that we can also understand uh, how sincere your heart is about the work that you did and that would show one of the reasons why you're really willing to step forward uh, in this testimony that you have. The Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School shooting in Parkland, Florida. The 2017 Fort Lauderdale Airport shooting. The Caesar Sayoc pipe bomb case. Multi-million dollar Ponzi schemes. Crimes on the high seas, bank robberies, murders for hire, sexual assaults, extortions, and more. Yes, it was physically taxing and emotionally jarring, but I believed I was making an impactful difference. And every day, I woke up and I embraced being an FBI special agent until things changed. So, Ms. Parker, I think our audience now can hear in your voice your sincere love for the agency, love for your country, and the service that you were providing. But you just said things changed. Tell us about your perspective from the inside of a special agent trained and at the top of your uh, skills, in the top of your work. You've had great reviews. That You weren't dismissed because you were a bad agent. Um, you clearly have very sincere beliefs and thoughts about the agency, but tell us now, after having laid this foundation of who you are to our audience, tell us how the agency has changed from your work in the Miami Bureau. Over the course of my 12-plus years, the FBI's trajectory has transformed. On Bureau, the papers, the Bureau's mission it remained the same, but its priorities and governing principles shifted dramatically. The FBI became politically weaponized, starting from the top in Washington and trickling down to the field offices. Although FBI employees have their First Amendment rights, they are not at the liberty to allow their personal political views or preferences to determine their course of action or inaction in any investigation. Lady Justice must remain blind. Those that do not uphold these responsibilities cause a negative ripple effect throughout the agency in the field. It's as if there became two FBI's. Americans see this, and it is destroying the Bureau's credibility, causing Americans to lose faith in the agency and therefore the hardworking and highly ethical agents who still do the heavy lifting and pursue noble cases. It makes it very difficult for agents to do their job when the FBI loses the respect of the American people. Ms. Parker, you say there's been a change at the top in the direction of the FBI, and we've seen that in other hearings around Peter Strzok and, and others at the FBI who were out to get President Trump as an example. Um, they're very clear in their and very open uh, in their tweets and emails about what their political perspectives were. Uh, and so we see that at the top. What has happened at the bottom? Have they changed the recruiting to bring in different people with maybe with more ideological perspective? Is that what you also saw happening and maybe lowering the standards? Tell us about your observations on the recruitment during those 12 years. There has also been a shift in recruiting practices, a lowering of the eligibility requirements, which is negatively impacting the agency's performance. And all this adds up to a loss of trust in the FBI by many Americans and low morale among many FBI employees. 
For many, becoming a special agent was their calling in life, but now it's merely a very dangerous and high-risk job with minimal contentment. Wary of consequences that come with voicing their displeasure, these agents keep their heads low. They work hard, and they stay off the radar, and they count down the days until they can collect their well-deserved pensions. So, Ms. Parker, how did all this change that you saw coming affect you in terms of the attitudes in Washington, D.C., and the filtering down uh, to your local office? How did that affect you? For me, distancing myself from egregious mistakes, immoral behavior, politically charged actions taken by a small but destructive few FBI employees became exhausting. Although I was always treated with the highest level of respect in the Miami division, I no longer felt that I was the type of agent that the FBI valued. I began to lose passion for the career I loved, and peace came as I reflected on the victims I assisted, the criminals I took off the streets, and I remembered positive performance reviews, awards, and accolades I had been given as I left nothing on the line in my work as a special agent. I held out as long as I could, hoping things would improve, but finally I knew it was time to go. So less than four months ago, of my own volition, I made the difficult decision and quietly walked away from the FBI with an exemplary and spotless record. I love the FBI I joined, and I have treasured memories working alongside remarkable people. I'm proud to have served with honor as a special agent. And while I sincerely pray for the future, the FBI's future success, the FBI's troubles of late were bigger than anything I could change. Going forward, I will continue to serve others in our beloved country while honoring and celebrating the true heroes, both past and present, of the FBI. Ms. Parker, I know some, especially on the Democratic side, are going to question your credibility. Why are you stepping forward? Why are you doing this? You had a good career and uh, all these accolades, and you were a good agent. Um, why you left? And why, in particular, are you testifying today? What motivates you? They're going to try to find out what is it behind your interests uh, that make it self-interest for you to testify today. Tell the audience uh, why you're testifying today. When I was invited to participate in this hearing, my initial reaction was to decline their request, as there may be others more capable who would do a much better job than me. And why would I want to subject myself to the stress of testifying, putting a target on my back, and likely facing public scrutiny? As I prayed about this invitation, and I realized that this is not about me, I have been given the opportunity to speak up on behalf of numerous current and former Bureau employees who feel similarly, but they do not have a voice. I am not here today to show favor to any political party. I am here to stand for the truth based on my experience at the FBI. In all humility, I hope to make an impact in creating a stronger agency, which is what Americans deserve. The people of this country deserve the right to have faith in those sworn to protect. Faith is the foundation of hope, and hope can be restored through honest reflection of who we have become and who we could and should be. Ms. Parker, as a citizen, as a public servant, as a whistleblower, you are telling the truth to power. You are exposing things that others are afraid to speak out about because of the censorship and the targets they put on their own back. So you're taking a very brave action that we should all be thankful that there are people like you who will step forward and tell truth. So, audience, um, that's the program for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. This is a most important area where I hope you will continue uh, to focus on and study and learn about what's happening with the weaponization of this country. It affects your freedoms, my freedoms, your liberties, my liberties. It is a direct attack on our Constitution 
and our way of life. Join us next week on America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman signing off for Healthcare Insight. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.